Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews with this message entitled, The Fiery Trial of Our Faith. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we pray that you who brought us here on this Lord's Day speak to us about this very serious subject of the fiery trial of our faith. The devil is here and he wants to take the words out of our heart. But, oh God, help us to resist the devil and help us to hear the word that we may understand what it means to experience fiery trial of our faith. Help us, O Lord, to be authentic believers. Deliver us from all pretensions and phoniness. The trial of our faith will reveal who we really are. Either doers of wickedness belonging to the devil or authentic people of God. Therefore, O Lord, enlighten our mind by the Holy Spirit of God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fiery trial of our faith. And we have a person who had cancer and and the cancer is returned and uh, she is going through the fiery trial and others also in various ways. So we want to know what is authentic faith so that we will not be discouraged and disappointed when we go through the valley of shadow of death. We will rejoice even in tribulations, knowing God's purpose in permitting us to go through such fiery ordeals. When asked, what must I do to be saved from God's wrath against me, a sinner? The Bible answers, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who suffered God's wrath for you on the cross. If I believe, then I am saved. Saved forever. And I am given death-defying eternal life. I am adopted as God's beloved child. And God is my heavenly father. And Jesus Christ is my sure redeemer. If I profess to be a believer, then God tests my faith. God demands persevering faith, not a temporal faith. He demands authentic faith, not a synthetic one. He demands faith that obeys God. And so we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, 7 and 8. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And First Peter 4 and verse 12, we read, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. A true believer denies himself, takes up the cross and follows Jesus Christ wherever he leads. And sometimes he leads through fiery trials, through the valley of shadow of death, through painful sufferings. True faith and obedience are inseparable, like sun and light. And a true believer lives by faith and dies by faith. His faith is not dead faith or demon's faith. It is a faith that works God's works. So faith of Abraham was tested and was proven genuine. So in chapter 11, Abraham is given most space by the writer to the Hebrews for his great faith. And his faith was tested in the most painful manner. I say it was a fiery trial. And faith was tested at least in four different ways. First, he was asked to leave his idols and comfort zone. Verse 8. But by faith Abraham when called to go to a place. Abraham was an idol worshipper like his parents. He lived in Mesopotamia. He lived in the city called Ur in Iraq. To cultured men, city life was the highest form of civilized existence. Abraham was a rich man, a mighty prince. He did not leave Ur of Chaldees like migrant workers seeking a job in Canaan. Abraham was living a life of culture, security, and happiness. The Lord of glory appeared to him and demanded that he leave his country, his relatives, and his father's house to go to a land that he would reveal to him. Leave security and certainty and happiness for insecurity and uncertainty. John Calvin says it is no ordinary trial of faith to give 
what we have in hand in order to seek what is far off and unknown to us. As the saying goes, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But we are told, as soon as God commanded Abraham, that's how the text reads, he obeyed and left for an unknown country. Abraham illustrated the author's definition of faith in 11 verse 1. That is, now faith is the ground, the foundation of things hoped for. Foundation upon which the believer stands. And the proof of things not seen. Faith is foundation and faith is proof. Faith is confidence. Faith is conviction. Faith is confidence. It is assurance. It is not confusion. That is faith in the Lord of glory and in his word. We could hear Abraham saying, I'm going. I'm leaving my country, kindred, and father's house. I do not know where I'm going. But I do not need to know. God who called me knows, and he goes before me. Thus he went, as his descendants would do many centuries later, leaving Egypt, led by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, to the land of Canaan. He trusted in the bare, naked word of God. You must understand his background. He had no godly parents. He knew no prophets. He had no Bible to consult. Abraham lived by faith. He obeyed God who called him. Faith is a journey into the unknown with God who knows all things. Abraham was asked to leave his country. He obeyed and he went. He was a man of true faith. His faith was tried and he passed the test. Secondly, we are told he lived in Canaan without experiencing the fulfillment of the great promises given to him. God led Abraham to Canaan. He was to receive Canaan as his inheritance. He was 75 years of age when he arrived in Canaan with his barren, sterile wife, Sarah. He lived in Canaan for 100 years. Yet he did not possess the land of Canaan as his inheritance. So St. Stephen tells us in Acts 7 and verse 5, God gave him no inheritance in Canaan, not even a foot of ground. When his 127-year-old wife Sarah finally died, he had no place to bury her. So he bought the cave of Machpelah from Ephron the Hittite for the inflated price of 400 shekels. Yes, by the promise of God, Canaan was his, yet he did not possess it. But he believed God. He lived in Canaan, not in permanent buildings. Us. He lived in the city of Ur. 
He lived, we are told, in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the promises of God. As a nomad and as a migrant, he lived and moved from place to place. He lived there as a stranger. So he said to the Hittite leaders of the land, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Listen to the promise God gave him before he left to the unknown land. As we read in Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. But where is the blessing? Where is the land he was promised? And where is the nation he was promised? There was no land and no nation. When Abraham died. Yet he did not return to his fatherland. Ur of the Chaldees. To live the secure comfortable life. He had been used to. That would have been unbelief. In God who spoke to him. He lived by faith in God. And the future fulfillment of all his promises. And so we read in Hebrews 10 verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. He did not shrink back. He did not go back. He kept on believing in God's promises to be fulfilled in the future. Not only he lived by faith. But he as well as Isaac and Jacob lived by faith. And they also died by faith. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. To die a good death. To die by faith. You must live by faith. And I once in a while hear your parents having passed away in unbelief. Oh, what tragedy when they die in unbelief. But these people lived by faith when they died. Jesus Christ himself told about this dying in their sins. John chapter 8 verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sins. And verse 23, but he continued, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. That's one way to die. The other way to die is revealed here in verse 13 of Hebrews 11. To die in faith in God. The believer dies in faith in the coming of the Lord to fulfill all his promises. Let me read to you what Jacob said when he was dying. Genesis 48 and verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. 
God will be with you. Genesis 49 verse 18. Here in the spirit Jacob is saying. I look for your deliverance O Lord. And listen to Joseph. What he said when he was dying. Chapter 50 of Genesis verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers. I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid. And take you up out of this land. To the land he promised on earth. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, they also lived and died in faith. Let me read from verse 20 through 22 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's son and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff, dying in faith. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of Israelites from Egypt and gave instruction about his bones. They were all looking for God's visitation and fulfilling his great promises of salvation. They all died by faith in God's promises and died believing in God's future deliverance. When they died, they did not receive the fullness of salvation. But they believed the words of the God of glory that they will be fulfilled. And we are told by faith, they saw them and greeted them from a distance. Jesus himself said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. By faith. He saw his own son, Jesus. Their vibrant faith, authentic faith, brought what was future present to them and near to them and energized them to live as God's people, as strangers and pilgrims in the world. And so they refused to conform to the world. They were being transformed by their faith in God's promises Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, they all lived by faith. They lived fully in the world, yet they were not of the world. They did not go back to Ur of Chaldees. They did not desire to go and settle down in Sodom either. They lived a pilgrim life. And we are given the secret of it in verse 10. For they were looking forward and yearning for life in the city of God, a heavenly city. Third, his faith was tried in terms of children. God of glory promised to make Abraham into a great nation. A multitude of children like stars of heaven and like sands on the seashore, innumerable But he had no son. His wife was sterile, barren. His servant Eliezer was going to be his heir. And God came to him even in Canaan and promised a multitude of children. As we read in Genesis 15, 4 and 5. But how can this be? His wife has been barren. And on top of that, she is past menopause. On top of that, she's 90 years of age. And she herself says in Genesis 18 verse 12, I am worn out. 
She's barren and old and worn out. And her husband is 100 years old. He's dead. As far as the ability to father children was concerned. And verse 12 uses a perfect passive participle. The meaning of it is dead, dead, dead. He's in a state of death. Nenekromenu. And Paul says the same thing in Romans 4 verse 19. Nenekromenon. Dead, dead, dead. But Abraham believed God. And he together with Sarah received power from the living God. To father Isaac because he considered him faithful who promised. Verse 11. Let's see what St. Paul is saying about him in Romans 4. Verse 17, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom Abraham believed. The God who gives life and calls into existence things that are not existing. And verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, 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 everything dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's exactly what we read here. In verse 11, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father. Or he received power to father. To beget. Because. He reasoned. He thought. He understood. He considered. The one who promised is faithful. In other words. He believed God who gave his life to the dead. And caused things that are not as though they were. He's competent. To fulfill his promises. And the truth is. God raised up Sarah from death. God raised up Abraham from death. So we are told in verse 12, from one dead man, one dead Sarah, by God's supernatural power of resurrection, brought forth multitude of people like stars of the sky and sands of the seashore, which no one can number. So here also Abraham's faith was tested and proven genuine in this matter of children. He believed God. And received children as God promised. And the fourth testing. And it is the final testing. It's the most terrible testing. Had to do with the sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac is now a teenager. Now comes God in the middle of the night. He demands Abraham to kill Isaac. And burn him up in worship. This is nothing less than fiery trial of faith. God is asking Abraham as Jesus asked Simon Peter Abraham do you love me more than Isaac your son your only son of promise the son whom you love and his answer was yes. 
It is the final test of faith. It is the final test of love. We have to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We cannot serve two masters. God does not tolerate idolatry of any kind. God's demand is clear. Not that he sacrifice Eliezer, the servant. Not that he sacrifice Ishmael. God wants Isaac to be sacrificed. And God wants Abraham, the father, to sacrifice Isaac. To demonstrate his total love and devotion to God. But there is a problem. Because God promised that it is through Isaac. Multitude of children are going to come. And it is through Isaac, Messiah shall come. So we read in Genesis 21:12, it is through Isaac, Abraham's offspring is to be reckoned. That is not through Ishmael. In other words, it is through Isaac, Messiah was to come and save Abraham and the world. But the demand also is clear. God demands Isaac to be killed and burned up. This demand and God's promise to Abraham are in apparent conflict. What do we do when God command, God's command clashes with God's covenant promises? We know that God is not a God of contradictions. If God promised to give Abraham descendants and Messiah through Isaac, he will fulfill that promise. If God demands Isaac to be sacrificed, that sacrifice cannot nullify God's covenant promise. The apparent contradiction of promise and demand can be resolved. And so look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to live an emotional life. We are called to live an intelligent life. A life that thinks and demands full powers of thought. So Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. In order to fulfill God's promise, God must raise Isaac from his ashes. And he understood he is able to do so. God proved himself mighty to raise the dead to Abraham. As we noted, he raised Sarah from death. He raised Abraham from death. Thus Isaac was born. Now, God must be able to raise Isaac also from the dead. And so we are told Abraham reckoned, calculated, figured out, reasoned, deduced. I cannot stand unthinking, emotional Christians who are always weeping and crying. What is going to happen? The cancer comes back and you are going to die. And unless you are a thinking person, you will be in deep trouble. Abraham thought, Abraham reasoned, Christianity demands reasoning ability. And finally your reason goes back to the infinite personal God who is highly competent to raise the dead. And so let us turn to Genesis 22 and verse 5, an important verse that reveals the reasoning of Abraham. And the resolution of the conflict. And he says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and, they, and then we will come back to you. And in Hebrew, we will come back to you. 
after sacrifice, that is, I and the boy Isaac will come back to you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He himself cut the wood to burn up his son Isaac. He walked three days to Mount Moriah. He reasoned, he thought, and the resolution came to him. God must raise up Isaac from the dead, and he will. Our duty is to obey God's clear word. God is altogether holy and reliable. He cannot lie. He is God of glory, not a dumb idol. God proved so far far reliable. So God must and will raise up Isaac to fulfill his covenant promises. So he was sacrificing, but at the last moment, God intervened and stopped him from killing Isaac. Instead, God provided a ram for sacrifice, a ram that pointed forward to the son of Isaac, Jesus Christ, who was not spared from death. He died and was buried, and on the third day, he raised from the dead as the savior of Abraham and the whole world. And so Genesis 22 verse 12 we read this. Do not lay a hand on the boy. In purpose and in intention. He has done it. And God is satisfied. He passed the test. He said do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God sir. Those who sin and those who don't want to obey God. Is because you don't fear God. You reduced him to a body and less than a body, sir. I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He has done it. Abraham passed the test. He loved God more than Isaac. God himself so certified. And finally, let me ask and tell you the true focus of Abraham's faith and ours. The secret of Abraham's faith is revealed in chapter 11, verse 10 and 14 and 16. And verse 10 we read, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He truly trusted in God. He was not trusting in Canaan or anything in the world. He was not trusting God to make him healthy, wealthy and powerful in this world. He was not looking to build a city in Canaan and dwell there. He was not desiring to live in any city in this world. True, he was looking for a city. The city, the city of God, but a heavenly city. A city designed and built by God himself. A city with foundations as we read in Psalm 87 verse 1. A city in other words cannot be conquered and destroyed. A city that is everlasting. That is why Abraham did not return to Ur of Chaldea. That is why he did not join Lot to go to the city of Sodom. That is why he dwelt in tents and lived as a stranger and pilgrim. He was longing for a home country. Verse 14. He was longing for a heavenly city, a better city, better than all the impermanent cities of this world that are passing away. He, like Jesus, considered all the glories and splendors of the kingdoms of this world as less than nothing. Jesus said, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? 
Let's listen to St. Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He speaks in the same fashion. And all people of God will speak in the same fashion. Philippians 3 and verse 8. What is more I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that to which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. The city of God. The heavenly country. The city with foundations. Whose builder and maker is God. Turn with me to chapter 12 and verse 22. There is a description of this city. It has nothing to do with the city in this world. In verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. The city of the living God. Look at chapter 12 and verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a city that cannot be shaken, Ruled by God, unshakable. This means all cities of the world will be shaken. And that rock, the kingdom of God that comes down from heaven will strike at the cities of this world and will destroy them. You are a fool if you put everything, your hope into cities of this world. Chapter 13 verse 14 we read. For here we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. All the kingdoms and cities of the world are shakable. But the city of God alone is unshakable. That is our city. And look at verse 16 of chapter 11. And here we are told. For God has prepared A city for them. It is already prepared. City for our enjoyment. That we may dwell in the city. That we may govern and ruled by God. In the city of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse 9. Listen to this. However as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed to us by his spirit what God has prepared. He has prepared a city for us. Listen to the language of Jesus Christ in John 14, those who are going through sickness and disease and cancer and heart attacks and back pain and everything else. Listen to this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I am going there. What? To prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The city of God, the presence of God, the place of everlasting happiness. And turn to John 14 and verse 20, 21. Listen to this. 
Whoever has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. And verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him, sir. The city of God. The people of God dwell with God. Look at Matthew 25 and verse 34. Listen to this. And here he speaks to his people. Chapter 25 verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right. Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. We have an inheritance and we are going to receive it. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. God has prepared a kingdom, a city, a country for us. God has already prepared it for our enjoyment, sir. What are you seeing? What are you looking at? So look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. We are told what we should be looking at. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Lift your eyes to the hills, to the heavenly country, to the heavenly city. Look your eyes, lift it up and see Jesus. Uh, Stephen saw him. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's turn to Romans, very quickly, Romans 8, beginning with, Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And here is the description for what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. And St. Paul tells us our citizenship is in heaven. Let me ask you, what is the city of God? You should ask that question. I tell you, the city of God is God. I tell you, the city of God is God's people. I tell you, it is life eternal. This is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It is God dwelling with man and man dwelling with God that's what the city sir so look at the book of Revelation and chapter 21 I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them they'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more pain crying mourning death for the old order of things has passed away new heaven new earth where dwelleth righteousness God's people Dwelling with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
And here we are told God was so proud of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Because they lived by faith in God. So God is not ashamed to be called their God. God will honor those who honor him. It is wonderful to describe God as God of Pastor Matthew. God of Abraham. God of Isaac. God of Jacob. God loves to be known as our God. Brothers and sisters, God is our inheritance. Nor Ur or Chaldees or Sodom or Davis or anything else. God is our inheritance. And we are God's inheritance. And we dwell with God in the new heaven and the new earth in the city of God. Brothers and sisters, we have a country, a home country. We have a heavenly country. We have a city with foundations, indestructible city. And we have a mansion in heaven, sir, prepared by Christ. And we have a living God, our inheritance. And we are destined to dwell with the God. Henry Francis Light says this in his hymn. It is not for me seeking my bliss and building my hopes in a region like this. I look for a city which hands have not piled. I panned for a country by sin undefiled. Is that true of you? Brothers and sisters, God can be trusted. He fulfills all his covenant promises. He spared Isaac, but he did not spare son of Isaac, Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He was buried and was raised on the third day. This is the gospel. This is our happiness. The Bible says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes, 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 yes in Christ. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Shall we rise? Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us not to believe in Jesus to get money, to get fame, to get a city down here. Help us to believe in Jesus to obtain a city, a country. A new heaven and a new earth where dwells righteousness. Help us to believe in Jesus Christ that we may live with God and God may live with us in everlasting bliss. That from eternity to eternity he may show himself to us, reveal himself to us and we live in eternal happiness of such continuing revelation of his glory and power and might and beauty. Hallelujah. Help us, O Lord, to not to trust in anything else but in your Son, Jesus Christ and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of the sermon entitled The Fiery Trial of Our Faith. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.